This is Beyond the Couch with Bridges, a podcast at the intersection of Asian Pacific Islander, South Asian American identity and mental health. I'm Christy. I'm Sam. And I'm Diana. We are three therapists who got together in the hopes of demystifying therapy and uplifting stories from our community. Each week, we'll connect with fellow therapists, experts, and community members about life, identity, and healing. We're so glad you're joining us today. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Beyond the Couch with Bridges Mental Health. I'm Christy. I'm Sam. And I'm Diana. We're all back together for our first anniversary episode. It's been officially a year since we first started this podcast. How are you all feeling about it now that it's been a whole year? Hard to believe that it's been yeah. a whole year. I feel like it's gone by really fast. I agree. I was I was thinking the year feels long, but when I think about the podcast, it feels like the year has gone by quickly. Yeah. So for most weeks, we have released an episode over the last year. And uh, if we imagined like listening back to our first episode and how <laughs> we're fumbling <laughs> yeah. around just finding... Or flow. It's also crazy to think that a year from now, if we record another 50 episodes, we will have a hundred episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just kind of a crazy number to to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when we first started, we each had a lot of ideas about who we wanted to talk to, but nowhere near 52. And I don't think we were even thinking that far ahead. <laughs> yeah. We've had like amazing guests on our Mm, people in our bridges, like in and outside of our bridges clinician community. And when we first started, it was mostly us three talking Mm -hmm. through different topics. So we've kind of like been exploring different rhythms and like how we've divided and conquered a lot of it too. Yeah. 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 I think one thing I was reflecting on too, is even just thinking about like the number of guests that we've had on, but also just like some really impressive guests that I have felt genuinely starstruck that we've had on the podcast. Um, Like Lindsay's episode just premiered last week and I've been listening. I had listened to her podcast, Mind Money Balance. We had Jenny Wang on the podcast. It's just, you know, these are like big milestones. It feels, um, it just feels really cool that people want to, to come on here and to talk to us about their, their work and their experiences. Yeah. You know, the topics that we've covered have been really diverse, and maybe I didn't feel like that would be the case when we first started, but really everything has a tie into mental health. And so, like, I was just thinking about the activism segments that we did and just the, just people from different walks of life, different generations, all still um, wanting to talk about mental health in the, the Asian community which is in, you know, really, really cool to hear. Yeah. One of the, like the episodes that stands out with Pam and Michael, the mm-hmm. Asian American activism and how they brought in a totally different perspective after being so active and organizing through the seventies. Like I, I feel like listening and editing a lot of the episodes, I've learned so much from our guests that I didn't expect it would necessarily be part of what we originally envisioned for the podcast but now there's elements of like API history in our feed which is really cool to grow 
And I feel like we're going even further back. Like I have episodes or recordings planned with folks talking about ancestral healing and deepening our connection to various roots. Well, so maybe we think about some questions that were submitted. Yeah. <laughs> um, courtesy of my brother. <laughs> well, shout, Lisa, out. <laughs> shout out to my brother for A these questions. Fan. But we'll also get to other questions that were submitted from listeners. Which episode has felt the most special to each of you? I feel like I need to pull up our our episode list. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking about all the episodes. There's a lot. It's hard to pick. Yeah. I feel like the ones that have felt most special, maybe it would not necessarily be like one specific episode, but more so a feeling from either the recording or the listening to it, like when something from an episode actually informs how I even practice therapy or think about things in my life. Like early on when we had Alina on Mm. and she was talking about honoring like the natural flows of the seasons and how our body naturally requires different kinds of rest and energy and productivity levels throughout the year that is something that I think about at least every week if not most days where I'm thinking about like how am I actually trying to be in tune with our natural cycles instead of like raging against them or having high expectations on what I output and I imagine that that will just that will stay with me if not grow in other layers of how I think about things you know I think in the beginning I felt that it was, it was, it was challenging for me doing like the hosting, you know, a guest. And I think that I really tried to plan my questions out and have something, you know, that was guided. Um, And I think one episode that I did where I finally felt like, oh, I don't really need these questions or I have the questions and I can answer, I can ask them in a way that, you know, I didn't actually plan them and it felt very easy. And I think that was the episode that I did with Cynthia Pong, the lawyer turned career coach. And I think it was just the rapport that we had that, you know, was just very immediate and we both felt comfortable. We were both a little bit silly before we got on. And so I think that that energy just um, translated really well. And I remember actually thinking like, oh, I might be able to listen to this episode afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So definitely that's something I've, I've learned is like, you know, you know, where to find that balance between having enough structure and allowing space for something spontaneous to happen as well. Mm -hmm. I think I'm still trying to figure it out because it, changes each time for me anyway yeah I think uh an episode this one is also top of mind because I didn't record it too long ago and it hasn't aired yet at the time that we're recording this now but I think it will have by the time this episode comes out but I recorded an episode with Lynn Min on um, psychedelic assisted therapy and I feel like that one just felt really interesting to me because it is a newer modality of therapy. And I feel like I learned a lot in that conversation. And it also expanded my brain a little bit in the way that I think about this work and what it can look like for people. 
And I feel like in those episodes, even ones that I've just listened to and haven't necessarily been on where I feel like kind of similarly to Christy, but just kind of like getting new ideas about things or having my mindset opened into a modality that I wouldn't necessarily have initially gravitated towards to practice, but then feel like it can offer so much and can be such a, an effective way of treating people, or I can see the reasons why clients might gravitate to that particular approach um, have been just like really positive experiences for me. It's almost like getting a little mini training in something that I wouldn't necessarily have just chosen myself. Um, but I get to learn about it through, you know, like very passionate, intelligent people who, who make it a big part of their work. Yeah. And I also like that our podcast episodes are not so long, so it really feels like you know, you can, you can really pay attention and get something really valuable out of it in just, you know, 25 minutes. I've gotten that feedback from listeners too, that they like the little bite-sized episodes compared to like an hour or something. Yeah. Yeah. It can be hard to commit. I mean, committing to like a two hour pod. I mean, I'm nuts and I listen to podcasts that are like three and a half hours long sometimes, (laughs) but I get that it's not for everybody. (laughs) Well, yeah. I've, yeah, I feel like we've also been able to get deeper in the shorter episode length and like mm-hmm. we can get to like a deeper piece that that feels most relevant. Yeah. And I feel like that relates to to one thing that I think has been helpful for the podcast and sort of my growth overall is about. I feel like when we have these shorter recording sessions, it relieves the pressure off of everybody, like us, the host, but also the guests and feeling, you know, many of the people that we have on um, are doing this outside of their full-time jobs and all the other things that they have commitments to in their life. Um, Like no one that we've had on really works in entertainment where recording a podcast is maybe like a major part of, of what their job is like and what their day daily tasks looks like. Um, And I feel like, kind of like what Diana was saying, just sort of giving ourselves permission to do a little bit less (laughs) and you can still have a really good, polished, wonderful product at the end of it um, and not have to, I don't know, take on more than is manageable um, or more than you feel that you can to make something that you feel proud of. Well, with that being said, being mindful of time, maybe we move over to some questions that were submitted because we could probably talk for a while in response to each of them, but maybe we will go through some and see what thoughts come up. Some might actually relate to each other. I can read this first one. Okay. So this is a question that comes from a listener of ours on our Instagram. And the question is, I've done a lot of work in therapy on self-love and radical acceptance, but I have work to do in things like anger management. And I know I have a tendency to be cruel. How can I talk to my therapist about wanting to work on these parts of me that I want to change, not accept? How does one balance acceptance of the self with the desire for betterment? Thank you to this listener for submitting this question. So I've got some thoughts on this, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts first. (laughs) I think that this is reflects like what a lot of people can feel when they're in therapy for a while while and wondering 
is this all about change or is this all about acceptance and feeling like it's hard to either pick between what parts of you you want to honor and allow there or like or where you actually might want to push yourself I get this from a lot of clients too of like is this something that I should be okay with that I am like super introverted and say no to every party or is it okay that I honor that and don't push myself yeah I think this comes up a lot too in my sessions and just initial thoughts on it is that you know it's not just one or the other, right? And I think this is probably what we all say, right? It's not this black and white of like, either we're needing to be making progress all the time, or we just have to accept. Sometimes it's this dynamic, right? A back and forth of trying something, seeing how it sits with us after we try it, and then um, evaluating and making another decision, right? It's like, what what happened when I tried to accept this about myself or what happened when I tried to push myself to change this aspect of myself? How did it cause me to feel? And what does it mean to me? And can I see this more as an experiment rather than something that you hold so tightly and seriously? Yeah, I agree with what you both shared. And one thought that I have to reading this question is, you know, I think that when we talk about like self-acceptance and accepting our experiences, I think that that can get a little confused sometimes in like online spaces or the ways that people might talk about therapy as meaning that there is no expectation to change like someone's behavior. So I might work with a client around their feelings of anger and acknowledging that their pain is legitimate and understanding where that comes from, while also still recognizing that the way that we might respond to that feeling is at times perhaps unacceptable or causes pain to the people in our lives. And so how can we work on you perhaps accepting these feelings as a part of yourself and the anger as being legitimate or whatever it is, while still working towards changing how you might respond to your feelings of anger or change the behavior when you're in a fight with someone that you care about or whatever it is. So I think that, yeah, it kind of speaks to that part of, you know, it's not the things aren't mutually exclusive and we can be doing both things at the same time. And I think in some ways you answered your own question and saying that you want to change that part. It's like, if we want to change it, then the therapist's role, I think in many ways is to kind of help you support making those changes and doing it in a way that feels authentic for you. Yeah. It might look like applying the self-love and radical acceptance to the anger itself, but the way that it's expressed could be adjusted, or there might be actually a more effective way of expressing and sitting with your anger and listening to it. And being curious about what needs it might be signaling are, are, are not getting met. And then the way it's expressed to those around you might be a little bit more effective if you're owning your anger, but not necessarily letting it be offloaded onto other people, where it's still your anger to process and to sit with and to make asks for other from other people or to express a boundary and enforce them. But if I hear like the anger management piece that I'm considering, like where might it actually start hurting yourself and your own efforts to communicate when it comes out in a very, in a way that people will naturally feel defensive or guarded against, as opposed to 
an anger that's at least hearable by the other people around you. This also feels like connected to another question that was submitted of how do I let myself feel angry? I usually resolve to tears when I'm feeling anger. And on this one, I could imagine there being natural like physiological differences maybe in how we express emotion. And for some people, anger might typically lead to tears as opposed to someone else might get huffy and puffy and red and yell or stomp around. But I, my first like curiosity would be how it looked like when other people were angry around this person, when they were young or when they, when anger felt really powerful or was taking up all of the airspace in the room, like what did the other people's anger look like? And then how might we have learned to show our anger in that similar way or whether tears might be more palatable or they're a little more effective in getting the attention that we want from other people as opposed to yelling might push people away. So how might tears actually be serving you in some way? Or are there other impulses you have to express the anger that you are resisting or repressing or trying to hold in? Yeah, that last piece, Christy, I think that society does not really condone or accept public displays of anger. So I think that many of us have worked up all these systems to like prevent ourselves from feeling it at all, because it's not considered like a socially acceptable emotion Um, that I would encourage any of my clients struggling with this to work through ways that they can experience their anger safely. Um, maybe it's creating like certain kinds of rituals. I've have people talk about sort of expressing their anger by listening to like angry music and dancing or kind of just like raging in their room. Some folks feel that they can sort of express it through physical movement, like exercise or whatever it is, but, um, giving ourselves an outlet where we can experience the anger in a way that feels safe to us and doesn't feel unsafe. Like many of our experiences in the past, maybe even if it's just like screaming into a pillow or those kinds of things as sort of early stages of beginning to express it ourselves. And then maybe you can work up towards expressing your anger and relationships and with other people. Yeah. I definitely agree that, you know, society permits certain displays of anger, you know, especially when you think about gender and, um, you know, maybe it is more acceptable for men to express anger in a more aggressive way, in a more externalizing way. And, you know, for female identifying, you know, perhaps that wasn't as acceptable, but I think it's also important to see if you can be in touch with that feeling of anger, of aggression, because yes, physiologically, maybe tears come out every time you feel angry and that's just conditioning or something. But, you know, I've definitely had experiences, my my own experiences where it's like tears of frustration of like, I'm so angry and I can't seem to express it. And so it comes out as tears of frustration, but just being able to be with the actual emotion of anger, of like the heat of that aggression, of the surge of energy you feel and feeling into that, regardless of the tears, right? Because I think that's really the characteristic of anger, right? It's like something has crossed a boundary for you. You feel unheard at something, right? And so I think that's a powerful emotion to acknowledge. Um, so regardless of you know, what's happening, you know, if you're crying, I think it's, it's about just being able to 
allow yourself to feel that energy. I think we have time for one last question. So this, uh, another question came in on our stories. How do I live for myself? I've been really feeling that I've been living my life for others. Yeah, I gravitated towards this question because a lot of my clients struggle with this, um, trying to balance their own needs with other people's needs. Um, and some even don't realize what their own needs are and what what they want for themselves. So it can be a process to start to learn what it is that you want for yourself. And so what we usually work on is just starting to notice, you know, what very simple questions to ask yourself about, you know, when do I feel good? What makes me happy? What do I want to do in this situation? Just starting to get to know your own preferences, to just know yourself, right? And I think that's like the very beginning part of, of this process. And I know there's probably more to this question about maybe this person knows what they want, but has difficulty actually, you know, living that. So I'm curious what, what you two think about that part of the question. Yeah, Diana, I think you spoke to like my immediate response would always be, well, what is it that you want? I think like that's the first part that comes with living for yourself. Many people have a sense of confusion around that, or they haven't felt like they've had the space to actually figure out what that is. Like what is living for myself even mean? And then once there's maybe an understanding around that, like the things that make you happy, the ways in which you may want to spend your time. I think that one of you had sort of mentioned this earlier in one of the other responses, but this idea of like having little experiments. So if I have a sense of the things that I may want in my life, what are some of the lower stakes, lower risk things that I can challenge myself to try saying no to or asking for and sort of building it up to the stuff that may feel bigger or scarier to achieve, but giving ourselves something small that feels doable. Cause if we set ourselves to the expectation that we're going to do the big thing right away, it may be too much and it may feel unsustainable. Um, and we may not be ready for that yet. So I think that, yeah, like taking those small steps, those small little risks in our life where it feels like the negative consequence wouldn't be too scary or too bad for us to, to give it a try. Yeah, I would also imagine like trying to understand what are the thoughts in our head that continue to lead us to make decisions that don't feel like they're quite for us. Like usually there's some, it might feel like the water we're swimming in, so it can be hard to discern other people's messages from our own thoughts. But if there is some story to carve out where the decisions you're making tend to feel like, well, I, I, I have to do this. Otherwise there will be this consequence. People might not like me, or they might think that I'm irresponsible. They might think I'm a failure if I do something, or they might not understand it. Like whatever the story ends up being that continues to come up for you of really challenging where that came from and how aligned does it actually feel? for that to be the motivator or that to be the reason that you're making decisions. In the other questions that we're not able to get to for today, there it seems like there are themes around how do I live more authentically and live more freely without being so afraid. And overall, I, th I feel like if we can put some language or 
understand where the roots of a lot of our fears came from, it can slowly start to unlock how deeply entrenched the fear is and over time feel more like, okay, yes, there will be fear. I will naturally be really nervous about making this decision or trying to put myself out there in a certain way. And I'm just going to do it anyway, which is kind of maybe bringing us a little full circle into us having this podcast for now a year when we were thinking about it for three. So this idea of just like, there was a lot of fear that was coming up for us. There's still some self-consciousness. Like I still have to disconnect from people listening to this sometimes, just put it out there and forget (laughs) about it. But I've personally just been in the zone, like it's your life. So it's our life. So we're the only people responsible for making ourselves happy. So if there's anything that you can do to like shift the needle a little more where your gut feels more peaceful or more at rest, then I personally, I feel like it's worth some degree of fear. You might realize that you can survive it. Like we have survived a year of podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) How do we do it? (laughs) And And I also think just survival happens like one day at a time, right? One decision at a time. And yeah we can correct for it the next time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And even this language of survival, you know, it's reminding me of a termination that I have with my client a while ago where she shared that, you know, when she felt she first started therapy, she was just trying to survive. And now at the end of our work, she shared that she feels that she is allowing herself to want more from life and doing the things that actually are going to give her a sense of peace and happiness. And I think that at some point, if you are willing to engage in that process of, of being afraid and taking a risk that it slowly transmute from just surviving and doing these things that we feel that we need in order to continue to survive, to really feeling like we are acting in alignment and working towards these things that are really going to bring us a sense of joy. That's so lovely. That's, that's such a lovely termination. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that that takes us to the end today. Yeah, rate us and review us. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you to everyone for listening to us for the last year. We hope that you continue to listen for another year. Hang in yep. there. We got to get there. Much more yeah. coming. Yes. Yeah. And continue to send us questions because we may do a like regular QA type thing. Yeah. 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 So message we'll us more questions. Yes. <laughs> message us, email us, post on Instagram, um, and we'll be happy to, to answer any questions you all may have in the future. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Beyond the Couch. Tune in every Wednesday, rate or review us to help grow our community and subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We'd love to hear from you. So connect with us on Instagram at Bridges Mental Health. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>